2 Chronicles chapter 18, um, almost identical. I struggle which one to actually bring the message from. And uh, did I say 1 Kings 22? Yes. Very good. Okay. Well, I'm glad you were listening. We're going to actually go over to 2 Chronicles. I told you that, and then I'll throw it. I, I really did struggle, and at the end I did make a, uh, make a decision. And there are just a couple different differences in the uh, accounts. So just 2 Chronicles 18. If you want to, you feel free to uh, keep your finger in 1 Kings 22. And uh, you can go back and forth uh, between the two passages. And you can look for those minute differences. Uh, there's especially one that uh, I really liked in uh, 2 Chronicles 18. So that's where we use that as a... Uh, kind of started off. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. We'll read on down to verse 17. Please follow along as we do. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria. Now, of course, uh, you're familiar with this. It's the divided kingdom. We have the king of Judah, which is Jehoshaphat, a good king. We'll speak more of that later. Uh, one who feared God, one who served God, led his people in worshiping God. And uh, we delight to see the good things. Um, when you read through these passages, uh, it's just up and down for Judah, a roller coaster. And when a good king comes on and says that he followed in the ways of David, his father, we rejoice. And then it seems like every other one is in the valley walking after the kings of Israel. And so here's Jehoshaphat, but, well... The next phrase there, last phrase in verse 1, and he joined affinity with Ahab. And it says, after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria. And uh, we started thinking, oh boy, what's going on? Because we know Ahab. Ahab is famous uh, for his wickedness, famous for his uh, hatred of God, hatred of God's prophets, and uh, his opposition to uh, the work of God in Israel. And so... We see Jehoshaphat, and we'll keep reading here, though, um, but I want you to have these two kings in mind, know the stark differences between them, and yet, as we read this passage, we see Jehoshaphat, and we, we kind of think, oh, what is he thinking? What is he doing? Anyway, after certain years, verse 2, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance, and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? Now, when you read that, you might not really understand what is so important about Ramoth Gilead. Why is he just going to go on a journey up there? No, he's going to go and attack Ramoth Gilead. In the other passage, in 1 Kings, it talks about this in depth, how that he said to him, called his counselors together, and he said, Hey, Ramoth Gilead up there, it's about 30 miles north of Samaria, and we, for a long time, have not had that as ours. Of old, it was our possession. Of old, it was our uh, city, our country. And the Syrians, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has come in and taken that. And we're just standing by and letting them have that. And so he calls his counselor and says, let's go take Ramoth Gilead. So now you have the picture here of what is going on when he asks uh, Jehoshaphat, will you go with me? He's not just saying, will you go on a nice little trip with me? He's saying, no, will you go and fight alongside of me with your armies? 
Okay, so Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? Notice his answer. He answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. Inwardly we groan <laughs> as we see Jehoshaphat say this, I am as thou art. Anyway, keep going. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. So here is hope. Jehoshaphat's not all the way uh, a fool. He's, he's saying, hold on, let's see what God says about this. What a good thing to say. What a good thing to, when any facing any decision, to say, what does God want me to do? Let's hold on, let's check with the Lord. And call a prophet, call the prophet of the Lord. But here we get to the next part. Verse 5. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets 400 men and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will, or for God, will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Now, I can't just read this. When I read this verse, there comes a nasally whine into my mind as Ahab speaks this. And uh, forgive me, but uh, so picture that or hear that. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Oh. What words, what words to, for a king to utter. But I hate him, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. Now, whenever you use those universal statements and slandering someone, usually it's false. Um, anyway, but uh, we'll keep reading here. Always evil. The same is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in a void place at the entering end of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shananah, had made him horns of iron, and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these thou shalt push Syria until they be consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets declared good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs. And speak thou good. Then Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, Go ye up, and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. Now I struggle to put the sarcasm into that. As uh, no doubt Micaiah was, we'll speak a little bit of that later, and the king said to him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? And then we see here the truth from Micaiah. He said, I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd, 
And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return, therefore, every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good unto me, but evil? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and for the instruction it has. And we read uh, the story of Micaiah and the truth that he spoke so fearlessly and faithfully for you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding hearts, that you would guide our hearts and minds as we uh, ponder our answers and our words and, Lord, our affiliations. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts according to your will. And help me as I speak that I would say the things that are needful and necessary and helpful to your people here tonight. That uh, we might all be fed and draw closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see Micaiah. And before we really get into Micaiah a lot, I want to give kind of a, a setting. As you probably already have uh, gathered here from the reading. Of course, Jehoshaphat, as we said before, one of the good kings of Israel. His revival, his uh, reading of the law to the people, his uh, work in the temple, support of true worship of God, is remarkable. One that we praise and one we're delighted with as Christians as we see a king who stands for God. And yet, here in this story, he's making some very poor choices, poor decisions that nearly cost him his life. Um, Primarily, he's choosing to be friends with King Ahab of Israel, an idol worshiper. Now, of course, you know Israel and Judah is going through the divided kingdom. Normally, these two kings would be at war against one another. In other uh, kings, other people, uh, other uh, times in the kings, the north was at war with the south and vice versa. They were always squabbling over who would have the most control of the land between them. And yet... Here in our story, we find them on friendly terms, and I think a lot of it has to do with Jehoshaphat's personality. He is a friendly type of person. He likes to be liked, and he likes to like people. He likes to uh, be a friendly, uh, friendly king instead of warring. Now, this can be a problem, as it is here for Jehoshaphat, because who are your friends? Who are you going to choose to be friendly to? And that is a decision here that Jehoshaphat should have thought more carefully about. Why? Because Ahab was one of the wickedest of all the kings in Israel. We could make a list of his sins. Um, we go back in the prior chapters where Elijah said unto him that Ahab had sold himself to work evil, not just a little bit, but in the very sight of the Lord, so that God would see it plainly, not just so Israel would see it, but in the sight of the Lord, um, in, in, uh, in, in every way, an idol worshiper. And so Ahab is now wanting to attack, capture Ramoth Gilead, to take it back from Ben-Hadad, but he feels like he's not quite strong enough, not quite able to. And so he calls out, calls in a favor from his friend Jehoshaphat. Uh, he should not, Jehoshaphat should not have been his close friend. Um, we could list off some verses for that. The Bible says in the New Testament, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Jehoshaphat is a believer. Clearly, Ahab is not. Ahab is an idol worshiper and uh, supports Baal and the Baal worship and actually drove out uh, the prophets of God, killed a lot of them. But in verse 1, we see that word, affinity, verse 1 there, that he chose to have affinity 
Ahab. That affinity means a natural liking for. A natural liking for Ahab. And so you scratch your head a little bit as you look at Ahab, uh, Jehoshaphat, and you say, what were you thinking? One of those moments, sometimes we say that to our young people, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind when you said that or when you did that? And this is one of those moments that we would come to Jehoshaphat if we could and knock some sense into his head and say, hey, pay attention. What are you doing here? This is not wise. Ahab, as we said before, clearly an unbeliever, hated, killed God's prophets. In fact, by his own mouth in verse 7 we see, but I hate him. He would openly profess his hatred for the true man of God. Not a good sign. Not a good person to have as your friend. He uh, despised God's laws. We can look back in the prior chapter about Naboth's vineyard. You know the story and how Ahab wanted that vineyard. And Naboth said, I would, but I can't. What kept Naboth from giving him that vineyard? It was a law of God that the uh, property should be handed down through the family. And so Naboth said, I cannot do that because of the law of God. Naboth honored God's law. Ahab didn't. Ahab despised that and ended up, um, Naboth was murdered and the land given to Ahab anyway. But so we inwardly cringe when we read the end of verse 1 that Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. Jehoshaphat would have been benefited from the words of a wise man who said, be friendly to everybody, but don't be friends with everybody. In other words, don't make uh, be careful who your close friends are. Even though uh, Jehoshaphat was friendly minded toward everyone, he shouldn't have made Ahab his close friends. Friendship, uh, unity. Unity is talked of in some circles a lot, and it is important in our local church, especially. But those are wonderful things. But when truth and righteousness are sacrificed in order to obtain that unity, they become idols. They become things that are a detriment to us that lead us down the wrong way. And our unity first must be with Christ, must be with truth, must be with his word in him alone. And when we have that unity with Christ, we will also have the right kind of unity with other people, with the other right kind of friends. Because they'll be going in the same direction as you are. As you follow Christ, they're following Christ, and all of a sudden you're walking along with close friends that are a delight to your soul and that keep you uh, faithful, help you uh, become more and more faithful. As it says in Proverbs 13:30, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Here Ahab is a companion of a fool, one who hates God, one who speaks against God. And so uh, those who turn aside from God's ways we must separate from those. We must uh, have, have a barrier between them and us. You know, and this is spoken of also by Christ. Christ is that great divider of men. He said, I'm not come to bring peace, but a sword. And here Ahab, or Jehoshaphat should have examined Ahab's life and turned away from him as his close friend. Jehoshaphat should have done that, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And so it is almost true almost true in Jehoshaphat's life. It nearly costs him his life, as we'll see. But what does Jehoshaphat answer Ahab with in verse 3? 
uh, chapter 18, verse 3. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Josh, that king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. So Jehoshaphat opens his mouth, I believe a little bit too quickly, before really examining what he's being asked to do. And he says, sure, I am as thou art. Now that's a foolish statement after looking at who Ahab is and what Ahab stands for. Jehoshaphat, you look at that and say, I am as thou art? Oh boy, that's not exactly what, what we want to, to call ourselves. Not a good thing. I am as thou art and my people as thy people. Notice that he commits his army, his people, to Ahab. Your friendships affect other people. I know that's an easy thing to say, but here we see it very clearly that it's going to affect the whole army of Israel, of Judah and all of Jehoshaphat's kingdom. And it doesn't just, our worldly friendships never affect only ourselves. They affect other people as well around us. They affect our children. They affect those we have influence on. But here, Jehoshaphat still, we still are excited as we see him raise an objection. This nagging doubt causes him to ask Ahab, isn't there a prophet that we can inquire of the Lord, that we can see what we should do here? Of course, Ahab um, agrees to that. But then we're, again, cast down as we see the prophets that Ahab brings forth. 400 prophets. Now the number is excessive, right? We say, wow, 400, surely you can't go wrong with 400 prophets. Uh, but then Joshbat sees who they are. It's obvious that they are not uh, true prophets of God. These are prophets of Baal. They have the, all the markings of idolatry, uh, not holiness unto the Lord, but they're man-pleasers, as we see from their answer to uh, to Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Let's read what they say. Um, the king asks, says, Shall we go up to Ramathilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, All four hundred, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Now, examine their answer there. Those words that they say, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Somewhat ambiguous, somewhat open-ended, if you look at what it's saying there toward the last. God will deliver it into the king's hand. Which king are they talking about? Perhaps King Hadad? Uh, leaving themselves room for error in either way, whether uh, whoever would win the battle. But uh, they left a way out and somewhat double-tongued in their answer, as most false prophets are, have double meanings there. But Jehoshaphat then requests a true prophet of the Lord. And here's where I really want to uh, examine Micaiah, uh, what we know of him. We don't know a lot. Um, the lessons of Jehoshaphat, we've spoken a couple of those, and ought to not forget those. We ought to remember those in how, who we choose for our friends. But also Micaiah teaches us much about um, about speaking the truth in opposition, when we're opposed, when God is opposed. And here we see another lesser-known Bible hero, a Bible character, Micaiah. Now, our pastor has recently stated several times that God is a true hero here. 
and showing his wisdom, his power, uh, his righteousness shining forth in, in dark times through the prophecies here. And the neat prophecy here is that uh, likely, uh, actually Elijah spoke against Ahab and said that his blood would be licked out by the dogs, that he would die a violent death, that he would be killed and slain for his wickedness. And that is fulfilled, of course, we can read about that in 1 Kings 21. But the stage is set here, and out of the shadows there comes this other key player that we want to talk about, not really of his own choice. Um, yet when he was called upon, he serves the Lord faithfully, he holds, uh, he um, speaks forth the truth of God in the face of opposition. One man versus 400. Let's read in verse 7. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil, the same as Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now, why could they fetch him quickly? We could go back, and we could look in uh, 1 Kings especially, and uh, we see some prophecies that were spoken against Ahab and his wickedness, and that he was condemned, and God spoke uh, through an unnamed prophet. And a lot of scholars believe that it was this same Micaiah. He is unnamed in that chapter, in those chapters. But uh, he prophesied, actually, uh, Three times against Ben Hadad and led the armies of Ben Hadad into uh, defeat against uh, by Ahab. And so the Syrians were defeated by Ahab's armies at the word of this unnamed prophet. I believe it was three times. And then Ben Hadad himself, or his general, was was captured, and Ahab was supposed to put him to death, or capture him, or keep him safe, and he let him go. He said, you can just be part, you can be at peace, and uh, Ben-Hadad was allowed to, to live, and to come back and attack another time later on. And God rebuked uh, Ahab for letting this uh, Ben-Hadad leave, letting him go, and rebuked him through the prophet, and we believe that that prophet was likely Micaiah, and it is also likely that uh, Micaiah had been imprisoned because speaking out against Ahab. And that's why, why he says, go quickly, go find him, fetch him quickly, Micaiah the son of Imlah. He knew right where he was uh, in another place at the end of the passage in 1 Kings. It says, take him back to prison at the end of this conversation. So we believe that he was in prison at the, at the word of Ahab. And of course, Ahab goes, pulls him out of prison, sends an officer. And so here we find Micaiah being brought out of prison, likely. Um, I can't say that 100% sure, but uh, things point to that in the scripture here. And so Micaiah comes out and is faced with this job of speaking truth to Ahab and Jehoshaphat in the midst of 400 prophets carrying on in this circus-like uh, production here that they're, that they're making. And so we'll read through that a little bit. Uh, verse 8, um, we read that, verse 9, And the king of Israel 
and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne. So they've got two thrones set up there, right in the middle of the gates of Samaria in an open place. Now the gates of the city, that was traditionally a place of judgment, where if you had a problem, you would come and bring the other party that you had this problem with. It was like the court of law, and where they would try uh, the cases, and judgment would be handed down from the king. But here is a little bit different situation because instead of one king sitting there on his throne, you now have two, a foreign king, Jehoshaphat, coming in, and they're sitting there in that open place, clothed in their robes. They sat in a void place at the entering end of the gate of Samaria. All the prophets prophesied before them. What are they prophesying? They're saying, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. They probably developed this into a chant, perhaps a song. They're saying this over and over. Go up for the Lord, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Saying it over and over. They're all in chorus. And it would likely rival a, 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 a big acting drama of today as they uh, thought of different ways to say this uh, phrase over and over. Of course, you have the story of Zedekiah. It's exciting to imagine him, especially for teenagers. I know Brother Sam in the back, he has pictures of Viking helmets. Viking, you know, Viking. Viking I don't know if everybody knows that. But um, with the horns on his head, Zedekiah makes horns of iron. Of course, horns are, uh, iron is a picture of, of uh, strength, the ultimate sign of power here. And he's parading up and down in front of the kings and back and forth. And anybody who wants to get out of his way, he prods them out of the way and pushes them out of the way and makes a, a big scene out of that and showing the confidence that they have that Ahab and Jehoshaphat will be victorious. And you can imagine the peer pressure that this fellow Micaiah is under. Of course, it doesn't just, um, just uh, start with that. Let's look at the messenger's uh, message as well in verse 12. It says, and the messengers, the messenger that went to call Micaiah, spake to him, saying, Behold the words of the prophets, declare good to the king with one assent. <clears throat> Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs, and speak thou good. So this is the message that Micaiah is getting as he's likely being led up out of prison. Perhaps he's feeling a bit out of place, a little bit underprepared. What's going on? What does the king want me for? He doesn't ever want to listen to me. I've been thrown in prison. Why does he want me now? And the messenger tells him this. Says, whatever they're saying, you should say the same because it's it's a good thing to say. Micaiah, you want to be good. You want to be accepted. You want to be uh, popular with the king again, don't you? Why don't you say the same thing that they're saying? And Micaiah has a good answer. He says, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. He had determined ahead of time that his mouth was God's. His mouth was set aside. What he was going to speak was going to be consistent with the Lord in heaven, not according to the gods of Ahab. So uh, here we have uh, this, uh, this 400 false prophets. And then also we have Ahab's open hatred to think of as well. Here Ahab, who likely had thrown him in prison before, is calling him out. But his hatred for Micaiah is not hid, not hidden from Micaiah. Ahab openly proclaimed, but I hate him. 
He never prophesies good concerning me, but evil, likely because Ahab was evil. And to put ourselves in Micaiah's shoes would be difficult for us, because most of us have not experienced open hatred like that against ourselves. Perhaps we've seen hatred against someone else or something else, but most of us have not, not really experienced that. We've been largely sheltered with that uh, from that. But um, I always imagine Ahab here as he says the words of how that he hates him and the, the flippancy as well as the forcefulness that he uses here as he says, but I hate him. And he proclaims that. And here comes Micaiah into the face of that with uh, the king sitting there, the 400 prophets making a circus as they prayed back and forth, chanting loudly, uh, go up, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. And here comes Micaiah, and he's going to speak the truth, right? Yes, but he's being persuaded not to. He's being prodded, pressured to conform. <clears throat> so first of all, we see he spoke the truth in opposition to the 400 false prophets. Consider that number. Would 400 people fit in this room? I think not. All right? It would be very, very packed, wall to wall. And to have one man against that would be a tall order. Secondly, though, Micaiah spoke the truth in the face of Ahab's hatred, outspoken hatred, not veiled, but outspoken against him. And then thirdly, Micaiah spoke the truth in spite of being prodded and pressured to conform to the world. Notice that an officer <coughs> comes and gets Ahab, or comes and gets Micaiah, goes and fetches him. Go get Micaiah. An officer comes, and on the way he says, this is what you need to say. You need to say the same thing that the other prophets are saying. Speak that which is good. Now that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? We want to speak what is good. We want to speak what is, what is helpful to other people. And so Micaiah could have been uh, tempted to uh, go along with this. And we'll see in the sarcasm, he kind of does for a bit. But uh, he gives a sincere answer, and I like that in verse 13. As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. When you give an answer for God, remember that God lives. God lives. And he is one that we will answer to, and because he lives, we ought to consider our words very seriously and not to give forth a faithful answer. As the Lord liveth, and this is a, a somewhat of an oath or a promise that is a, a vow, as the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. In our speech to others, when we are asked hard things, what should we speak? We ought to speak what my God saith. What does God say? We ought to speak forth God's words faithfully. And Micaiah uh, determines to do that. But he sees and hears the scene around the gates, the pomp, the pride of the kings as they're set forth on their thrones. Here's the chanting of the 400 prophets. Uh, sees Zedekiah, the son of Chenena, prancing up and down with his horns of iron on his head. And uh, all of them saying the same thing. All of them saying, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Perhaps they've made it into a chant. They're chanting loudly, chanting over and over and over. There are 400 of them, and so uh, I'm sure it's hard for Micaiah to hear the question, but the king of Israel says, shall we go up or shall we not? And now comes the moment. Micaiah has to answer. What's he going to say? Well, I think he sarcastically adopts this same chant 
adopts the same chant that the, the 400 had, and he spouts it right back to the king with probably a sarcastic look on his face. Maybe not. But obviously, the king can see through it. Obviously, that he can, he can say, you're not telling the truth. How much time, how many times do I have to tell you to tell me the truth? And uh, that's, what, that's what it says. He says, go ye up and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. Verse 15. And the king said to him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? We would think that this has happened before, that Ahab wants to know what God says. But usually it's evil. As, as Ahab says, usually it's it's not nice for Ahab because Ahab is, is not walking with the Lord. And so he he gets a, an answer that's displeasing to him. But he says, I'm going to adjure you again. Tell nothing, say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord. And so what does Micaiah say? Well, he answers with his vision, with what he saw. Now, I don't know. Um, some say that he had this vision ahead of time or at that moment that he saw Israel but he said I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd and the Lord said these have no master let them return therefore every man to his house in peace these have no master what was he saying in that he was saying quite clearly that Ahab you're a dead man Ahab, you're done. Ahab, what Elijah the prophet said is going to happen. Elijah said the dogs are going to lick your blood in Jezreel, and that's going to happen. You're going to be a dead man soon. And so the truth that Ahab wanted to hear was not all the truth that Ahab wanted to hear. No, again, a prophesied evil concerning Ahab, because Ahab was an evil king. And so he said Israel is going to be without a king. And of course, did that set well with the rest of the prophets? Not at all. 400 prophets saying one thing, and then there's this one little guy, Micaiah, standing up and saying, no, it's not going to go well. King Ahab, you're going to die in the battle. Don't go up. You're not going to be successful. And uh, we see the answer in verse 17. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good unto me, but evil? Again, he said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And then he goes into the story about why uh, the, the, the lying tongue of the prophets and talking Ahab into going up to, up to battle and that Ahab would go and that he would be defeated there. But look down in verse 23. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near. Notice that he's the one, remember, he's the one with the iron horns. He came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see on that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. You're going to know when you run away, when you hide in your closet from the invading armies, you're going to know who spoke which which. A spirit of the Lord is the right one, whether you listen to the lying, lying spirit or not. And so uh, Micaiah has this uh, threat of physical harm from Zedekiah. But in the face of that, did he change his message? No, he didn't bow, he didn't change, he spoke the truth in faithfulness. 
Also, look down in verse 25. Then the king of Israel said, Take ye Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou certainly return in peace, then hath the Lord, then hath not the Lord spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, all ye people. And so here, in spite of imprisonment, perhaps repeat imprisonment, uh, Micaiah speaks faithfully for the Lord. He doesn't turn to the side. He doesn't soften his message. But he speaks forth what God wants him to say. And that's what God's people must do. God's people must be faithful. They must not uh, be concerned with winning the popularity contest among the world. Um, but speak the truth, uh, God's truth, faithfully. Speak the truth in love. But as we interact with other people, whether it's in our own family, whether it's in our own church, whether it's in the world as we witness to other people, don't diminish aught from God's message. Speak forth faithfully that which you, uh, what, what God saith, as it says here in the passage, what uh, God saith, that will I speak. Be faithful to proclaim God's word. And I'm not sure exactly how to apply this. We could go back and talk a little bit more about Jehoshaphat and his affinity with Ahab and the worldliness that uh, we are tempted with as Christians, the tendency that we have the desire to be liked by the world and to desire that, the desire to be thought well of. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel, to be faithful for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And how do we do that? By letting our light so shine among men. <clears throat> and I don't know, uh, let the Spirit of the Lord apply that as He will in your, in your heart and your life. Also, we could go secondly and talk about Micaiah and his boldness in facing the 400. Much like another famous prophet who faced 400 and was victorious under the power of God. So we likewise may have a great number speaking louder than we are, louder voices than ours in opposition against God. Does that mean that we should hold our peace? Does that mean that we should turn away from speaking for God? Oh, no. We must speak faithfully in opposition to the majority. Also, he spoke the truth in the face of threats um, from Zedekiah, uh, from the threat of prison, from King Ahab, and forbid it, but that could be us. In, in time when freedom of speech uh, is taken away from our land, um, this is a time when we stand forth and preach the gospel faithfully and tell the truth as God would have us to. Whatever uh, the Lord has uh, wanted you to learn from this passage, it was a delight to me as I studied it, and I hope that uh, you were able to, to benefit from it spiritually as well. We'll have our mission.